Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message, and God bless. We're going to continue our study in the book of James today. James chapter 4, we're going to be looking, starting with verse 7 today. And I'll uh, give you a chance to get there. James chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Last week, as we began James chapter 4, we were looking at divisions within this world. Divisions in the church, the cause of divisions in our homes, the cause of divisions in this world, within governments, the cause of division in all of our lives. If you recall, we saw that uh, James said that it comes from our selfishness and our selfish desires, a lack of humility, wanting what we want, believing our desires, believing what we want, what we need is more important than everybody else around us. And he said that we, we war and we murder and we covet and we lust and still don't get what we want. We're still not fulfilled no matter how much we try to, uh, no, no matter what we do to get those things, no matter what we do, uh, it's never enough. No matter how much we get, it's never enough. And he even goes so far to say is that we don't ask God for what it is that we want because we don't, we, uh, we don't want to ask uh, on his terms. Right? We want it on our terms. We don't want it on God's terms. We want it on our terms. And then when we do ask, he said we do not receive because we ask amiss. We want it for our own pleasures and our own desires. Again, that selfishness and that self-centeredness runs throughout those verses. And he said the answer to this is humility. The answer to all of that selfishness and all of that self-centeredness is humility. Verse 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humility is the answer to selfishness and self-centeredness. It is the exact opposite. In fact, the word humble here means to be made low. We see this in the story of the, uh, Jesus tells of the, of the tax collector and the Pharisee in the church. The tax collector, I mean the Pharisee was in, the teacher, the scribe, the religious leader was in the church and he was praying about himself, the Bible says, and he was talking about how great he was and all the things that he did for God and how clean he was and how he paid his tithes and how he did all of these things. And he even went so far as to say, I'm so happy and it's so great that I'm not like this guy. <laughs> right? 
right? This filthy tax collector who, uh, by Jewish standards, was the lowest rung in society because they worked for the Roman government and robbed the Jewish people. They, they were. They were thieves. They took more than was owed to them. Look at Zacchaeus. They robbed the people. And they were traitors as far as the Jews were concerned to their own race, to the Jewish people. And so this Pharisee and his arrogance and his selfishness and his self-centeredness, he was not humble. For when he approached God, he approached God on his own merits. He approached God with, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. But then you look at the tax collector. The tax collector, the Bible says, fell on his face before God. He beat his chest and he said, God, I'm not worthy to even be here. Have mercy on that's the kind of humility that God is talking about. Not the, the, the Pharisee and his arrogance and his self-centeredness who proudly stands before God and boasts of how great he is and boasts of his works and boasts of those things. He's looking for the humble, the one who is made low. Low in ourselves. The Bible says not looking at ourselves and esteeming ourselves above others. But recognizing that we're all lost. Right. No matter what our social status, no matter what our race, no matter what uh, our economic status, our education, whatever the case may be, we are all equal in the sight of God. Right. Amen. And God desires for us to be humble and recognize that without him, where would we be? Amen. And so what James is going to tell us is the cure for selfishness and self-centeredness is that humility. That's why he says first in verse 7, therefore submit to God. Now that word there, submit, is what a Greek word is used to describe soldiers Submitting to their commander. Willingly giving up all of their rights, all of their own authority. Willingly submitting under the authority of a commander so that if that commander says, go forth and do battle, they would go. Even if it was a suicide mission. Even if it meant death. Even if, no matter what the case. They would surrender themselves to the authority of the commander and do as the commander asked and requested, regardless of the consequences. God is saying to us, we must submit ourselves under his authority, be obedient to him. So the first thing that you and I have to do is we must submit ourselves under God's authority. That's where humility starts. See, James says in verse 3 that we are to resist, I'm sorry, continuing in verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That is the opposite of submitting to God. In fact, that literally means to stand against the devil. The very opposite. So the submit is submitting to God like a soldier submits to a commander. The resist there means to stand against in order for us to correct or be corrected in our sinful natures and our desires and our selfishness and our self-centeredness, we must submit ourselves to God. And not just that, we have to take a stand against right. the devil. Amen. Amen. Right? We have to make a choice.
Because who are we going to serve? Are we going to serve God? Or are we going to serve the devil? Because listen, you serve one or the other. You don't get to walk the middle. You don't get to choose. You either serve God or you serve Satan. That's pretty much black and white. If you recall, Joshua made a proclamation in the, in the Old Testament. And he said to those people uh, before they uh, entered into the promised land, he said, listen, if you want to, go serve the gods, the idols of your fathers. Go serve the idols of the Amicalites and the, all those ites. Go serve Baal. Go serve Asherah. Go serve all those false gods. But listen, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. All of us have a moment in our lives where we have to make that decision that we are going to serve God and not serve the gods of this world. We have to take, it's not good enough just to submit. We have to take a stand against. When you take a stand against the devil, he will flee from you, meaning he's no longer over you. So you have a lot of times the devil's over us because we never take a stand against him. Wow. Yes. He's over us and he torments us and he oppresses us because we're still wavering. Wow. We haven't stood against him. We haven't made that line in the sand. God, no matter what, I submit to your authority. No matter what, I experience good, bad, ugly, and different. Devil, I take a stand against you that no matter what you offer, I'm not interested. And that's what James is saying here. In order to overcome selfishness, self-centeredness, and the sin in our lives, we must humble ourselves before God, submit to his authority, and take a stand against the devil. Devil, you are no longer calling the shots in my life. God is. Verse 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's a great promise. Mm -hmm. What a great promise that is, is that if you and I will submit ourselves to his authority, take a stand against the enemy, to, you know, stand against the devil, if we will draw near to God, God will draw near to us. That's a promise in scripture right here in the book of James chapter 4. If you and I will seek God with all of our hearts, if you and I will chase God with all the energy that we have, if we will make him number one in our lives, God promises that he will come draw close to us. Amen. He'll never leave you alone. He'll never forsake you. He'll always walk beside you. He'll carry you. He'll be there for you. If you will draw near to him. Many times we want God to carry us when we've ran three miles away from him. We've ran as far away as we can from God in our actions and in our thought lives and in the way that we behave and our selfishness and our self-centeredness. And then we fall down and we get a boo-boo and we want God to carry us. Well, we left God in the dust a long time ago. How many, how many of us as children, I know my brothers and I, my brother, little brother, not my older brother, he was so much older than us, but my little brother and I who were very close, Mom would tell us, don't go so far, or don't go do this. We had this creek by our house, and we would always have to get permission. And Mom would be, give us rules and things. 
And Charlie and I would always push the rules to the absolute furthest, right? And we would run from mom's rules. But if something bad happened, where did we do? We ran back to mom. Where, right? But now we ran from mom's rules. We got hurt or something bad happened. We ran from what her authority and her protection. See, when you run from God's authority, you run from his protection. That's, right. That's a sermon and another yes, thing. Yes, it is. Good. Right? If you run from God's authority, you run from his protection. Right. right? And the only way to get help is to get back as fast as you can. Right. Amen. Because I have to draw near to him, and he will draw near to me. Right. 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 But listen, God doesn't force himself on anybody. Right. He'll be there. He loves you. He cares for you. And he'll wait for you. But he's not going to force. You have something called free will. Mm -hmm. And God will not force himself upon you. He'll manipulate circumstances. He'll do these things outside of you. And he, he, but he, to draw you to him, to get you to go to him. But you and I have to choose to draw close. Right. To leave the old prodigal son. Prodigal son's in the middle, eating slop of pigs, and one day he comes to himself and goes, what in the world am I doing? He had to make a choice to go back home. That's right. God didn't pick him up by the bootstraps and say, you need to go back home and you know, make him go back home. See, a lot of people believe that, that there's no free will, that God, that, that the prodigal son didn't operate in free will. They believe that it was always meant to be to come home, and so therefore God took over his choice of free will and Send him home. But the prodigal son had to make a choice to get up out of the slot and go home. Amen. He had to decide to go home to his father. God allows us to operate in his free will, and we have to make a decision. Draw near to him, and he will draw near to us. Submit ourselves under his authority, and he'll be there for us. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Ouch! Right? Now, the, James is talking about two things. He's talking about an outward and an inward. So he's saying, cleanse your hands, that's outward. Mm -hmm. And he's also saying, purify your hearts, that's inward. Right. Now, he said it in that order, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, but what do we know? It's what's inside of us that comes out on the outside of us, right? So uh, if I'm going to uh, uh, go uh, play in the dirt, does that start with my hands? So my hands get dirty on their own, just in my pockets? No, an act of my mind and my will, and I make a choice to go dirty my hands. So in order for my hands to be clean, my heart has to be clean. Right. They go together. Right. right? So in order for my hands to be cleansed, my heart has to be cleansed. Do you remember when the Pharisees uh, gave Jesus' disciples a hard way to go because they didn't properly do the ceremonial washing of their hands before they ate? It, they were like, ooh, that's gross. They don't wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus corrected them. Why? He said, you got it all going on on the outside, but on the inside, you're corrupt and nasty. Right? Uh, basically, uh, we can wash our hands all day long, but if we go stick them in the mud again, what good does it do us? Right? You can wash your outside over and over and over again, but if nothing changes on the inside, 
cannot, you're outside, there's just nothing you can do about it. So you purify your heart, and then it'll be reflected in your actions. Obedience to God, right. serving God, submitting to God, communing with God. All of that will flow from the inside. So first, our hearts must be purified. Right? And the only way that we're, our hearts can be purified is to call upon Christ. He says in verse 9, lament and mourn and weep. The only way that your heart can be purified and your hands cleansed, your obedience to God solidified, walking with him, talking with him, communing with him. The only way I can be made right in God's eyes is to lament, to mourn, and to weep. Now listen, weeping is outside, lamenting and mourning is inside. All right? So we notice it starts with lamenting and mourning and then goes to weeping. A lot of us like to weep real good on the outside, but nothing changes on the inside. Amen. Got a lot of weeping going on in our world and in our churches today. A lot of outward expression of emotion, but nothing actually happens on the inside because we're not really mourning. We cry and say, God, forgive us, but there's no lamenting or mourning on the inside. Right? That's why the prophet said, rend your hearts and not your garments. Right? right? Because it was, a, it was a tradition is that if you were sorry for something, you would rend your garments and you put ash on your forehead and you would walk around with a mopey face. <laughs> right? And everyone would know how sorry you were for whatever it is that you did. But on the inside, there was still pride and arrogance and selfishness and self-centeredness. Even their weeping even that was to get sympathy or to seem religious and pious in the eyes of those who were watching. Yes. Right? I can tell you growing up in a Pentecostal church that there were people, it's happened in this church, that come up and they have an external manifestation of crying or whatever the case may be but there's no change in the heart. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what's wrong with the world today. Yes. Amen. A lot of weeping, but no lamenting and mourning. Wow. We love to get forgiveness without actually being sorry. Wow. Right? And James says, you don't get to weep. Your weeping doesn't mean anything until you lament and you mourn. That means that you are broken on the inside because of your and my sin. Right, yes. Because of my sin, my separation from God, my behavior, my disobedience, my rebelliousness. When that breaks my heart and I feel the full guilt and shame of my sin and it causes me to mourn. Now, how many of you lost somebody in your life that's very precious to you? We all have. Family member, a friend, someone. Now, what happens? You mourn. Anyone, not to dredge up bad uh, experiences, but mourning hurts. Yes. Yeah. It don't feel good. When you mourn, it 
can cause a, it's a mental, emotional, but also physical reaction to this tragedy. What we need to recognize is that when you and I are sinning against God, that is a tragedy. Yes. Wow. Amen. It is a tragedy on the same level as death. Because the wages of sin is death. death. So you and I are to mourn our sin like we mourn someone who dies. We are to just be disgusted with ourselves. What have I done? Hurt. It should cause that kind of guttural reaction on the inside, all the way down to the center of who you are. Why am I acting this way? Why did I do this, God? I, I don't know. I, I sinned against you. And it makes me sick to my stomach. I'm nauseous. I hurt. I'm so sorry. That's mourning. Right. Many of us, especially if you were saved at a young age, you don't really truly understand what it is to mourn sin. Mm -hmm. That's why so many people come to our churches and leave unchanged because there's no mourning of sin, no real uh, uh, feeling sorry. No sense of really uh, being sorry for what we've done. No understanding the gravity of what we've done. My mama, well, when we would get in trouble, I mean real trouble. I'm not talking about superficial trouble where you get a little tongue lashing or something. I'm talking real trouble. There was a look mama would give you which you knew Oh my goodness, when you got home, you were getting a whooping. You knew, right? And you would be afraid of the punishment coming the whole time. Oh my goodness, when I get home, I'm getting a whooping. Oh my goodness, when I get home, I'm getting a whooping. And there would be fear and worry and doubt and instant, why in the world did I do that? I should have never did that. I knew better. Mama told me not to do it, right? When you and I mourn, it should be that times a million for our sin. Lamenting. Knowing that God has mercy on us and it's free gift of his salvation. Right? It's a free gift. But we must confess our sin. Right. But a mouth confession is not the same as a heart confession. Right. And it must start here in the gut, yes. in the heart, and then be pronounced with the mouth. Mm -hmm. That is true mourning and repentance. Yes, amen. Let us not cry tears that mean nothing. But let us mourn our sin, repent, and be healed. Yes. yes, amen. He says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. That word laughter means that you are literally reveling in your sin 
knowing full well that it's wrong, and essentially spitting in God's face. That's what it means there. Is to laugh in God's face as you continue to sin. Now, when we weep but do not mourn, we continue in the behavior that we've always continued in. Oh, we're laughing on the inside. No matter what we project on the outside. And God knows the difference between weeping and laughter. So you and I, when we continue in rebelliousness and sin, living in sin in front of God, knowing what God says is right and what is wrong, you are laughing in his face. I am laughing in his face. I am mocking God. That's why it says, I believe in the book of Galatians, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. But we live our lives mocking God in sinful disobedience, laughing in his face. Not realizing that eventually we will reap what we sow. And James says here, turn that laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. If you're living in sin, walking in sin, and God is convicting your heart, but you refuse to repent and correct your behavior, God cannot be there for you. You are laughing in his face, and you are mocking his name. I am mocking his name. We need to analyze our lives. And look at where it is that we fall short. And truly repent. So that you and I can be forgiven. And walk close with him. But it starts with analyzing ourselves. I know people personally. Who, as soon as the bigger, better deal came along, mm -hmm. they went with that and left God standing at the altar. Yep. And then they continue to live in that sin, knowing full well that what they're doing is wrong. But when something happens bad, the first thing they do is want you to pray for them. Our prayers for someone who is living in sin, the only prayer we should pray is that God would convict their hearts and they would be delivered from that sin. Yes, amen. Yes, amen. That should be our prayer. Yes. Convict their hearts and let them be forgiven and restored to Christ. Yes. To know him as Lord and as Savior. And that's what we're supposed to do. Instead of celebrating, getting involved, getting pulled into their sin, stay apart from it and pray for God's mercy and grace and pray for them to call upon him. Amen. Amen. 
I cannot stress this enough. No matter how many times you come to church, no matter how much you do in the church, no matter how many Bible studies you teach, no matter how many times a preacher preaches, a preacher preaches, right? No matter what I'm all involved in as it relates to God, if I'm living in sin, it is in vain. Paul said that when on the foundation of Christ in the book of Corinthians, that we lay wood, hay, stubble, but then we also build with precious gems. And in the end, all of the wood and hay and stubble is going to be burned away by God's judgment and fire. And the only thing that's going to remain is that pre those precious gems. Anything you and I do for God out of selfishness and self-centeredness and pride and arrogance will be burned away. Anything you and I do for God as we're acting in obedience, when we stand before him, disobedience, excuse me, if you and I are living lives of rebelliousness and hatred and for him, no matter how many times you teach, it's wood, hay, and stubble that will be burned away. Yes. Because we're doing it from improper motives. God knows your heart and he knows my heart. He knows my pride and my arrogance, my selfishness and my self-centeredness. So we are to operate outside of those things and the only way to do that is to humble ourselves before God. He, said, he says in verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So the only cure for that selfishness, that self-centeredness, that sin and rebelliousness in our lives is to humble ourselves before God. And if we humble ourselves before him, submit to his authority, make ourselves low before God, what does it say? He will lift you up. But you are not being lifted up because of your own power and your own standing and your own strength and on your own merits, right? Your own power, your own strength, your own merits should be what brings us low. Mm -hmm. yes. And when you are lifted up by God, you are lifted up not on your own merits, mm -hmm. but on the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the nice. gift and the Amen. sacrifice he made for you. That's the key. Recognizing that we may have all the world has to offer, but we still have to humble ourselves before God. Because when you stand and I stand before Him, nothing I have will matter. Right, man. He could look at me, and I could have been the most wealthy businessman in the world, or the most successful pastor in the world. I could be, you know, preach to thousands. But he could see beyond all of the superficial and see to the heart. Right. And he knows our heart and the intent of our heart. And so we must do a very deep dive introspection today. Are we living in sin? Are we living in rebelliousness towards God? Have we convinced ourselves that everything's all right? Yet down deep inside, we're rebelling against him. Are we living and walking in sin? God cannot bless that. Amen. Let us stand.
Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach a loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.